Hello and welcome to Woman Heal Podcast, a sacred space for women to work through the hard stuff while becoming more self-aware, healing past wounds, and transforming into the highest version of themselves. Now more than ever is the time for us to deal with everything we have swept under the rug. I am Carla Arcanon Lawrence, the Trailblazer, and over the last decade, I have served as a holistic transformation coach where I teach women how to heal what's still hurting while discovering their authentic voice and awakening their inner boss. Be sure to follow the Woman Heal Movement on Instagram and Facebook at Woman Heal Podcast. As a disclaimer, if you are battling anxiety or depression, please contact your medical doctor immediately or and you can do it or and connect with a licensed professional at psychologytoday.com. If you are having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Note that the advice that I share on this podcast is not to be replaced with the directives of your medical doctor or mental health provider. Today, we have a very special guest, Latiana James, who will be sharing her story of being a teenage mom and overcoming childhood trauma, as well as church hurt. Latiana, how are you doing? You smiling so bright, looking so pretty. What's going on? (laughs) Nothing much. I'm doing great. I have the day off. I'm able to relax and just kind of prepare for you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I am (laughs) well I am so excited to have you here with us today I love 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 creating platforms for women to share their stories because I really believe it is possible for us to profit from our passion I believe that our pain gives birth to our purpose and in essence our pain gives birth to our passion and so take a moment and introduce yourself in your own way to our listening audience okay as she said I'm Latiana I am born and raised in Southern California, now living in the Bay Area. I am a wife and a mom of five boys, you know, ranging in age from eight to 22. I uh, just recently retired from the county after 16 years and during COVID went back to nursing school and became a nurse. So that's (laughs) a lot of it. I love it. I love it. Well, let's get right into your story uh, because I know you have some childhood traumas you've experienced. We both have childhood traumas. We've experienced teenage pregnancy as well as church hurt. So we're going to talk about it because we want our listeners to know that whatever they're dealing with, whatever the dilemma, whatever the circumstance, they can overcome with the proper tools, resources, and support, right? So take us back to childhood. Give us some background, some of the things you went through, and we'll go from there. Okay, so a little bit of it, the first beginning years, I had uh, gone through foster care. My mom lost custody of my sister and I. We went into an orphanage and then eventually was separated and placed into foster homes with relatives and then foster homes with people that we didn't know. Eventually she got us back, um, but it was a lot of living with her and then living with my great grandmother back and forth off and on. So I would spend kindergarten with my grandparents, well, my grandmother, and then, you know, first, second, third grade with my mom, fourth grade with grandma, sixth, seventh with mom, like that. So it was a lot of that back and forth, you know, growing up in the household, my dad was not in the home. He was in my life, but not in the home. He was on drugs and um, my stepmom was on drugs and dad was in and out of jail and mom was an alcoholic. My stepdad was in and out of jail and out of prison. Um, drug dealers 
um, you know, a lot of physical abuse uh, um, from my mom, me watching my stepfather abuse my mom, her verbally abusing me and my siblings physically abusing us. I had gone through sexual assault at um, eight years old um, by my sister's cousin. Um, it, it's, it's a lot. It's very, very deep. My sister had gone through a lot. My mom had gone through a lot. She had been raped as a child as well. And so had my sister. So, you know, no hugs, no kisses, just lots of name calling, B-I-T-C-H. That was a regular thing for me to hear that. And um, I, became, I ran away at 15. I just couldn't take it anymore. I ran away at 15. And uh, when I ran away, I became pregnant. Mm -hmm. I became pregnant. So I came back home with a baby in the womb. Um, at 16 years old, I gave birth to my first child. So that's a lot of the childhood trauma that I suffered. Um, in addition to having to pay for some of the sins of my father, because my father, um, my sister was told that my father sexually assaulted her as a little girl, as a baby, as a two-year-old. So I had to pay for a lot of that as well. So mm -hmm. that sounds, it sounds like, yeah. What were you saying? I'm sorry. No, I said, that's some of the just some of the childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember when we spoke offline and we first, when I first learned more about your story, because you've been, we've been connected for a long time through social media. I can't yes. wait to meet you. Um, and so I appreciate <laughs> your support, your love over the years through all of my transitions, child. I appreciate it. But um, what I hear, everything I'm listening to is, you know, you're not feeling safe, a lack of stability, I even since uh, kind of some of the things I felt as a child, the orphan spirit, like why nobody don't want me? Why am I, you know, how, how did what you experienced as a child affect how you view Latiana James? Oh, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. First of all, there was trust issues. I didn't trust anybody. If you can't trust the one person that God entrusts you to, which is your mother and your father, how can you trust anybody else? I could not, I didn't trust anybody. That was a huge thing for me. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in this state of abandonment and a state of loneliness, you're lonely, but you're around other people. That's a more lonely feeling than being lonely by yourself, you know, mm -hmm. having somebody there and you can't talk to. I remember there was times that I would cry and um, my mother would tell me, you are so ugly when you cry. You know, so when you have that, it's like, well, who do you turn to? Where do you go? You can't go to therapy. She wouldn't take me. You know, she took me to one session after that. My 13-year-old sister was catching the bus to take me and she would drop me off, go hang out with the homies. And then an hour later, I would see her. So when you talk about impacting, I just wanted to be in the arms of somebody who validated me, who loved me, who said, it's okay. You know, so it impacted me in a major way. I moved out of my mom's home at 18 years old you know, 18 and six months um, old to be exact. And so I didn't trust her. We couldn't have conversations. We couldn't communicate. I remember a lot of our conversations was, why do you have to keep calling me a B-I-T-C-H? You know, could you please call me by the name that you named me? And for that, you know, getting punched in the mouth, you know, there was a time that she literally tried to rip the fingernails off of my hands because I had went and got my nails done. So, you know, it's all of those things so when you say impact, I, I was living in a house that I wanted to be out of so bad. Mm -hmm. And that's what caused me to actually run to the church. Mm -hmm. So, which actually makes you perfect prey. I tell people all the Absolutely. time, I'm like, I, you know, when you talk like that, people, 
religious people would think, oh, you against the church. And I'm like, nah, I'm not saying that, that I'm against the church, mm-hmm. but I do believe we have a false expectation that, oh, because this is a pastor or because this is prophet, deacon, reverend, doctor, whoever, or first lady, because they could be a mess yes. some of them, then you automatically think you're safe when the truth is we all have our own trauma and our own story. And just because you have a title doesn't mean you don't have unprocessed pain. And so there's, there's some things I want to break down here. I want to go back to the relationship with your parents. So where are you got, how did you learn to forgive? Have you learned to forgive and release that? And if so, what was that process like? I did. I absolutely learned to forgive. And even at, at my wedding, both of my parents stood up who are, you know, not married and they both shared how forgiven I was. And saying that they didn't have to be there and, you know, et cetera. So it took a while. When I found out about what my father did to my sister, I was 14 years old. And so in that very moment, I made up in my mind that whether he did it or not, because I didn't know the truth, you know, that I was going to go ahead and forgive him, pray for him, et cetera. Same thing with my mom, because how, because I knew how she was raised and her mom not being there for her. I didn't fault her as much as I would have had she had the tools, the teaching and the experience. You know, this my mom was a teen mom. She was pregnant at 15. You know, she had she had me at uh, right before she turned 18. So or right after she turned 18. So I didn't fault her as much. And so I gave a lot of leniency. I gave a lot of grace for, you know, I'm, I'm perfect. They're unperfect. And I just I wrote a lot of it off to my dad was on drugs. He was a different person on drugs than he is as a saved person mm-hmm. so we are very close I'm a, I'm a daddy's girl mm-hmm. and and I want to go back to and help me if I'm wrong so your sister which is your biological sister is that your mother's child but not your father's child absolutely yeah he told you that your dad molested her yes right yeah what yeah. was what was that because then I also heard you say you know, I don't know if it happened. And so if your sister were listening, it could be, well, I'm telling you that it happened. What you mean? You don't know, but you're like, yeah. I'm in, I'm stuck. I'm, I, that's my dad. You're my sister. I hate that that happened to you. Like, how did you, how did you, what was that conversation like? Like, were y'all adults when y'all had this conversation? No. I was 14. Like I said, I was 14, but she used to walk through the house and she used to just punch me. She was a bully. So she would just punch me in the stomach, you know, to see me fall or punch me in the eye, give me black eyes. And so I never understood why she was so mean to me. And then finally, one day at 14, she said, your dad raped me. But she did admit that she didn't know that it was a cousin of hers. Tamala told her, hey, your dad, you know, Tiani's dad raped you, you know, when you was two years old, three years old. So, you know, with my mom, it wasn't something she remembered somebody her. So you felt like she, she was taking her anger out on you because it didn't happen to you. So he never touched you. No, no, no. We both were taken to the hospital. They did say, yes, she has absolutely been, you know, molested. And they checked me. I had not been molested and stuff. So it, something did happen to her, but you know, my mom, as they say, was really, really wild and partying and just going places with us and leaving us in rooms where other moms was leaving their kids. And there was a lot of different men around, you know, which mom admits. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's fast forward. So you experience all of this 
no therapy, no, you know what I'm saying? And now you find yourself left to deal with all of these emotions of what has happened in your life. And now you're responsible for another life. What was that moment like when you found out you were pregnant? Scary. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell my mom for a very long time. Well, I won't say very long, but at least I think I might've been out of the first trimester by the time I told her. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how she was going to react. Um, but honestly, that was a change in my life because she said, just do what you need to do and we'll, you know, help you. And so for the first time I became on a roll. And so, you know, it just, it, it forced me, it gave me the motivation that I needed, honestly. So mm -hmm. it was scary, but it gave me motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you got pregnant, you ended up back in your mom's home. Yeah. Which was yeah. a place of abuse and all of that. So how was it now that you have this baby or you're pregnant at this point was the dynamics of your relationship different or were you still being called out of your name was you know how did things change once the baby once you were pregnant and the baby came and all of that she didn't hit me anymore so I'll say that that stopped I mean you still had the name calling but she didn't hit me anymore and mm -hmm. you know like I said I knew at 18 I was getting up out of there and um, so, so that, that changed things. And she finally started working. You know, my mom had been on welfare all of my life and stuff. So once I became 16 and gave birth, she started working at a job just coincidentally around the same time. So I wasn't at home with her all the time. So she couldn't drink as much as she used to drink, you know, because that liquor would have her really just going at the mouth. Then my stepfather, them two fighting, and he wasn't at home as often anymore. So because he was working too. So um, the dynamic got a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So how, what was the turning point in the relationship with you and your mom, as well as you and your dad? We can start with your mom first. So... The turning point for me, honestly, was moving out because my stepfather was not only abusive to her, but he would use abusive language and physical abuse towards me, slap me in the face, you know, at 18 while I was holding my son. And she would just kind of say things like, well, your dad used to hit me. Your dad used to call me a B, you know, as though it was OK because, you know, she had to deal with it. So that's why I say paying for the sins of my father. So not only did I have to answer to that to my sister, but also to my mom. And, you know, I moved away, you know, 18 years old. And then I moved up to the Bay Area two, two years later. So it's kept a great deal of distance between the two of us. But we talk just about every single day. But when we talk about the past, she likes to forget all of it. I can relate to that. My mom is like that. So how, so y'all have never really, have y'all really had that conversation where you were able to hash it out? Like, my, you were horrible as a mom. Yeah. Like, and what is yeah. her with that being that it sounds like her attachment style is more so dismissive very right? dismissive I want, mm -hmm. yeah she'll listen sometimes but for the most part she shuts it down she shuts the conversation down to the point where I'm like mom I just need you to hear me out I need you to hear what I'm saying because this is a part of the healing this is a part of the journey you know I'm gonna tell you how I feel the same way you should be telling your mom how you feel you know so a lot of times she's really dismissive of it or she'll be like well you know what I'm just gonna do me you know, it, it's it's her mind frame of that, but she's getting better. She's getting mm -hmm. better. So did that affect your healing journey at all? And the reason why I'm asking is because I had not, the, you know, me and my mom, we had our own issues as well. And so, uh, and I was also physically abused by my mother's, I don't say stepdad, I say mother's husband, because uh, he just wasn't a dad at all. Uh, but I was physically <laughs> abused by him. 
And so that's a part of the life, our life, our lives that my mom really tries to forget. And so for a long time, I hindered my own healing journey because she wasn't a willing participant. And then I learned like, yo, I can heal without her. She can stay in denial and I can heal. So what was that like for you? Was it challenging? Was it you, you went through this process of trying to get her to get it. And then when you saw she wasn't getting it, you had to go get it for yourself. Tell us about yeah. that because it, we want to paint a clear picture for our listeners who may be experiencing something very similar because sometimes we think our healing is in the hands of another person when ultimately we got to take responsibility. I often say on the podcast, what happened to you may not be your fault, but healing is your responsibility. And I love that you say that because honestly, I wanted my healing to be in the hands of everybody else. Mm-hmm. When it came to protecting me from what happened to me as a kid, protecting me as an adult, and I looked to everybody else. And when they didn't do that, then I had these unrealistic expectations that they failed me in the sense. So therapy was extremely hard for me the very first time because it was an eye opener. Mm-hmm. I'm talking to you now as somebody who has acknowledged that I've gone through these things. When I went to therapy, I never used the word abandon or abandonment. It was her telling me you were abandoned. And I was like, what? I was, <laughs> you know, that it's, it's so crazy that the abnormal just seems so normal. And she mm-hmm. said, well, you was in and out of foster care from this foster home, to that foster home, you live with an aunt, you live with this grandmother, then you live with these other grandmothers in and out. And then, and I was like, oh my goodness, I was abandoned, you know? Mm-hmm. So it took for her to open these things up, even to the point where her and my husband, they clashed so bad during a one or two sessions that I thought they was going to duke it out. So it was, it was an eye-opening experience. I had to sit there and listen and I wasn't ready for a lot of it. I wasn't ready mm-hmm. for a lot of it. So was your husband like being more so protective? Like she said that didn't happen and the therapist is like, I hear you, but it did. You know, what, what, what well, was going on with that? The later, the later on church hurt that happened, um, that came along with my husband, uh, in my husband's family and their church, um, she was just so upset. Like, why do you make her go around your family? Why is she still having to go around your family? Why are your kids Got going you. around your, your family? Why are you not protecting her? And okay, like, so that mean? was separate from the issue with yes. your mom. So, so let's get into that. And again, guys, um, let's, Latiana's story is so layered. It's like, mine. I tell her, <laughs> I keep telling her she need to write a book. I'm like, listen, you need to pen this because there's so much that has happened to you. And there's also so much awareness that has taken place in that process. And I really believe that all of this led up to your purpose of becoming a nurse, because now you assist sick people for a living. You get what I'm saying? Like, whether it's internal healing or it's physical healing, that's so amazing. So you went through all of this and then you said something earlier. You said, I ran to the church. What happened? Well, it was good at first. Cause like you said, not all churches, it's not, it's not a rant on the church and stuff. And so it was good because they were my safe haven. So I would go there because it kept me away from the household with my mom. I didn't have to hear her drinking. I didn't have to hear her cussing. So I was there on Wednesday night, Friday night, all day, Sunday, whenever I could be there. You go from a situation where your mom is consistently calling you B-I-T-C-H's and you go to church and they're calling you anointed and blessed and gifted and child of God. That feels good. And they're giving you hugs and you have a mom who doesn't hug or kiss. You know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's different. So that's the reason that I ran to the church. And so anytime I went through anything, 
I was just always at the church all the time. So, you know, as I fast forward later on through life, I continue to look for the church to be my saving grace through any and all situations. And when it didn't happen this last time, it was a burst of bubble. It was a full burst of bubble. And it felt like a betrayal. It felt like a stab in the back. Um, I wasn't ready for it. And mm -hmm. there's no hurt like church hurt to me mm -hmm. because that's, that's where I thought I was getting all of my healing from. That was my therapy instead of going to therapy for many years. That was my therapy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And one of the things I hear you say is like, I expected, you know, yes. I expected the church to be there for me. I expected the church to be my safe haven. And I really believe that God gets jealous of that where he's like, nah, you relying on these people or this place and I need you to rely on me. And yeah. so uh, what would you say to people, someone that's listening, who is experiencing betrayal, hurt, rejection, whatever it is, mishandled by the local church? What would you say to kind of walk them through that process to overcoming? I would have to say, I wanted to make a list of things because I thought this was so important. I just have to be honest. Um, release um, unrealistic expectations is the first thing. I had so many expectations for the pastor, for the first lady, for the mother's board, for everybody that I thought at this new church was going to rally around me the way that I had the old church. And once I saw them make this, this deacon who was a sex offender or make this person into a deacon, that took me on a whole nother world. So I would say release the unrealistic expectations, okay? Another one is remove yourself from places where my truth must be kept a secret. If my life must be kept a secret, if something that happened to me must be kept a secret, I don't need to be there. If mm -hmm. something about me has to be kept hush-hush, my lifestyle, whatever, it has to be a secret, I don't need to be there. I can't be there. Mm -hmm. Another thing is um, don't make others comfortable at the expense of your uncomfortability. I knew I was uncomfortable going to that church. I knew walking, like before I walked in, I had to mentally prepare myself as I walked in. Like, oh Lord, here I am, you know, and even just standing in the choir, is he looking, is he watching, covering my blouse, covering my chest because the deacon is foul and they didn't gave him a title and all this type of stuff. So do not go places that you're uncomfortable. Do not sacrifice your peace of mind. If it does not bring you peace, why are you in there? I had no peace being in, the, in that church. I felt heavy burden. I felt like I couldn't, you know, like, like the Lord was just kept telling me, get up and leave, get out of here. And you continue to sit in a place that I told you to go. How can you get healing in a place that caused you the pain? So mm -hmm. for me, I couldn't get that, you know, and then don't enter unhealthy spaces um, because healthy and unhealthy can't mingle in the same space together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I kept trying to take my, what I thought was a healthy as I was healing to an unhealing, you know, a place that, that didn't have as much healing for me and stuff. And so, you know, just not being afraid to change and step outside of the normal traditions of being at the regular local church. Maybe it's a non-denominational, uh, you know, maybe mm -hmm. it's a white church. Maybe it's something that's totally different from, you know, Pentecostal, Kojic or Baptist, whatever whatever. So don't be afraid to make sure that you're putting your relationship before religion. Don't get so content with doing kingdom building work that, you know, you're forgetting to do the work within yourself. Mm -hmm. Now That's we cool. have, that was really good. I love all of those points. Uh, we have a few minutes left. Now we kind of skipped over because I know it's a long story. That was really good, right, Talia? So 
in in essence, can you give us or you Absolutely. know, I know you don't mind sharing, like what happened? Because no. it was a situation with the deacon and yes. your yes. your husband, family, with church. Yes. Tell us about yes. that. And we literally have okay. like seven minutes for that part. Okay. So take your time and go okay. ahead. Okay. So basically, many, many years ago, my husband's brother-in-law, so his sister's husband, he started sexually harassing me. And when I mean sexually harassing, I mean hiding in the bushes, masturbating at my doorstep, masturbating outside of my car. He would be at the park masturbating while I would be there with my kids. He would, he would, you know, call my phone, like all these different things. And so, um, you know, I told my husband, the family found out it wasn't a secret. You know, I made them aware they ended up hearing everything um, over the phone and stuff. So they knew I wasn't lying. I ended up having to go down to the police department because he had masturbated at my door when the kids were in the house, etc. And so, you know, no one went with me. But when I went, it turned out he was a registered sex offender. No one in the family even knew about this at all. But, you know, the Lord told me at some point in time, um, I did a Daniel fast and that's when things changed for me when I had this awakening of religion mm -mm, mm -hmm. uh, versus relationship and stuff. And so he told me to leave the church to get free at the end of the Daniel fast. And, you know, and so like three months later, I had a dream and where somebody was elevated and that's what ended up happening. They ended up elevating this man who they knew was a sex offender and he's on the lifetime registrant list as a sex offender. And they elevated to him, him to a position of deacon. And so they said they thought that they felt like he had changed. And uh, well, yeah, you haven't experienced him the way that I have. He's not the boogeyman to you. He's the boogeyman to me. You know. And you what was that time frame, Latiana? So this started around 09. So mm -hmm. it started around 09, but it went on for several years. But when they elevated him to the deacon, this was maybe like, like four years ago, mm -hmm. four years ago. But it wasn't just me he had done this to because, like I said, he was a registered sex offender. So he already had a history and a past of doing this to other women. Some of my sister-in-law's friends, they had told her, hey, he's hitting on us. He's doing these things. She didn't believe them. And then it happened to me. And it was like, whoa, hold on. So it was a it was a hard transition. I expected more just because they were in church. You know, my mother wasn't in church and this is how she handled it. So now these people are in church. I was expecting for them to handle it differently. But the fact that the pastor, you know, elevated him and mind you, the pastor is my father-in-law and the first lady is my mother-in-law. And, you know, they have all these titles of administrative assistant to the bishop and superintendent and this, that, and the third. So for them, it's about looking good to the church. It's about keeping things hidden under the rug. And that just, uh, you know, pulled the wool just from over my eyes. And I was able to see clearly the way that mm -hmm. I should have been seen. So how, how did, and we got four minutes, I'm trying to get it all in girl. How did, did this affect you, your relationship with you and your husband? Yes. On the bad side, I didn't feel protected. I didn't feel safe. It went back to my childhood you know and there was a lot of resentment of you didn't protect me you're not keeping me safe what can you y'all couldn't get him to stop da, 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 etc but I'll tell you this once I stepped away and I got the therapy that I needed and I got to speak to my therapist and stuff me and my husband have been in the best place I can't tell you the last time we've had an argument we are just so, so in love and we go on a date every week and you know all this type of stuff so it made a difference therapy was such a healing point for me and you know it could be a temporary situation it could be something that's done for a season it can definitely um you know be, be helpful for you you know also keep in mind this um jeremiah says um i will give you pastors after my own heart he doesn't say i'm gonna give you one pastor 
Okay. So that means you may have to go to go through a situation where maybe this church is the church for a season and God has elevated you, grown you out of that situation. And it's time for you to go. No matter which version of the Bible you look at, it's going to say pastors with an S or leaders with an S or, or you know, it's going to be that plural. So if you're not getting the knowledge and the wisdom that he said, then it's okay to step away. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I, all I got to say is write the book already. That's, that's <laughs> all I got to say. I'm here when you're ready, you know. So tell us uh, how people can get in touch with you. Give them your social media, your website, any information that you want to share. Okay. So on uh, Instagram, you can find me at latiana.renee. That's my personal page. And then uh, my uh, professional page is I'm Nurse T, T-E-A. So I'm dishing all the good nurse, you know, T stuff, the advocacy stuff, you know, so you can find me on there, which is, you know, just definitely follow me on there. I'm doing a lot of things. I'll be graduating with my doctorate in August in Come ministry off. and I'm back in school finishing up my RN right now. And, you know, it, it pushed me to want to do those things. I finished in 2019 with my bachelor's in Christian education and a master's in Christian leadership. So follow me. I'm doing a whole bunch of journey stuff. And I'm talking about finances, money, everything. I love it, guys. Listen, <laughs> make sure y'all follow Tatiana. Uh, Latiana. I was going to call you Tatiana, girl. Uh, <laughs> follow her, stay connected. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and share with the sister friend who could use this information while on her journey to becoming. Be sure to join our live conversations that take place on Facebook and Instagram at Woman Heal Podcast. Also, Every fourth Wednesday, we hold Sister Chat, so make sure you tune in for that. And remember, what happened to you may not be your fault, but healing is your responsibility. Until next time.